Let us open the scriptures now at First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter five. And we the reading will come from verse twelve to twenty two. And Ken will lead us in that reading. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve to twenty two. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard amongst you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecy with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. No, I meant to God's word. Thank you, Ken. Where I come from, there is a there's an expression, and you might have it in 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 the Australian uh, culture too. But I'm going to translate it sort of directly from what I know it, and it says that the potent poison comes in small bottles. And in one verse, two words, there is something of the same. Verse 17, pray continually. It is almost as if the Lord in this verse, um, just to that we would understand, look, there's nothing to... There's nothing to, to explain about this. Just do it. Pray continually. Let's keep that in mind and then we go to the uh, Old Testament reading which is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I alerted you to the fact that this will be the last of the sermons around the life of Elijah. But if this would come as a disappointment to you, it will not be. Uh, we'll go into chapter 19 the next time we are together in the Lord. We're going to read first chapter 18, uh, First Kings chapter 18, and then we read from uh, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, that's the king, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, 
and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. He went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. May the Lord give us the grace and understanding to know what his will is. From this reading of the uh, Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18, and also from that verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, I bring to you the word this morning under the heading, Prayer That Perseveres. Prayer That Perseveres. As truly as the heavens were closed in response to Elijah's prayer when he prayed to the Lord that the Lord would close the heavens for a period of time, which was three and a half years, so the heavens were opened in answer to his supplication again. We read in the same chapter that Elijah prayed twice. The first time we saw him as the man prayed in public on behalf of the people so that the glory of God will be known and the people would know that God is indeed God. But here now, in the last part of this chapter, we saw him where he prays in private before the Lord. One could ask yourself, why is it that the Lord did not give rain as he had promised? Without the prayer and the intercession of, of Elijah, was it not possible for the Lord to call the people to Mount Carmel and then show himself to be God by sending them the rain and the storm and the hail and the lightning and all these things? There were these two things that happened in between. Elijah's prayer that God would show himself as God before the people and that the Lord would answer the prayer and, and accept the sacrifice and the offering. That was one thing that had to happen first. But then you would like to think that according to our understanding and looking back on this chapter, you would like to think that, well, now is the time that the Lord is going to answer the prayer, isn't it? Now is the time that God is going to open the windows of heaven. All is restored now. And the people went home. And on the mountain were only maybe Ahab and those around him 
and it was Elijah and the person next to him. And as they went their way, Elijah then went further up onto the top of the mountain where he found himself. We find him then on his knees before God. Well, Elijah was the one who asked for the Lord to, to close the, the, the windows of heaven. And Elijah then was the one who now stood before God and say and asked the Lord and pleaded with the Lord to now open the heavens. And it is almost as if, and we'll get to that a bit further into the, into the sermon, we know that we worship a sovereign God. We know that God would do whatever He promised, even if we didn't ask. But it doesn't take away the responsibility of God's church, of God's people, to still pray and still seek His face and still trust Him in obedience until, until He answers that prayer. Let's look at a few aspects of the prayer of Elijah. That, that prayer that, that we read about in James, he was a man just like us, and he prayed. But it says there that the prayer of the righteous prevails a lot. So we don't know the, the, the words of this prayer, it's not recorded in the Scriptures, other than to say that he was, he was persevering in prayer, and that he sought the face of the Lord, and the way in which it's done gives us something of that prayer. First of all, then, he withdrew from the crowds, as we read, he went up to the top of Carmel. The atmosphere of the world is fatal to the spirit of devotion. And we must get alone in communion with God if we want to enjoy the communion with God. Our Lord Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The, 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 the framework in which the Lord says spoke of these words were the Pharisees who would go out on the, on the street corners and then they recite their prayers not even perhaps thinking of what they're saying. And it was a repetition of things. And the Lord then says, no, that's not what you do. You go into your room. And, and you have to understand the, under, the, 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 the architecture of those days. In some cases, the houses were built around an inner court. And in some cases, in the inner court, there was a room. That's where you were away from, from what happened. It was away from the front door. It was away from people who could bother you. It was, it was a way where you could meet in secret with the Lord, where you will not be seen by others, but you will be seen by your Father. But the point is, 
where you will be with him. One of my professors used to say that our world is addicted to noise. We're addicted to noise. We just can't be still. We, we're afraid to be alone. We're afraid to sometimes just say, let's cut all of this out of our life and let's just close the door and let's be with God. Maybe we're afraid to be with God. Maybe we're afraid of His presence. And that's why we neglect our prayer life. Public prayer and, and prayer and fellowship with other people are, is, is a very good thing. And, and, and we need more of that. We need more prayer meetings. We need more time that we can get together as God's people and pray together as His people. But it should never replace that private time before God. There's a verse in James chapter 4, which I'd like to read to you. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask in wrong motives that you may spend what you get on pleasures. Do we have, do we get, or do we say, do we need to say that we are spiritually very poor purely because we don't ask anymore? Make time. To pray. Then the next thing is we saw, we see in the posture of Elijah. He climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Why would the Bible go to these specific lengths to describe to us a praying Elijah? Why doesn't it just say he went up to the mountain and he prayed? It specifically says he put his face between his knees and bowed down to the ground. We scarcely recognize him. He seems to have lost his identity. A few hours before he stood as an oak of Bashan, now he is bowed like the willow by the water. In the first prayer we see him as God's ambassador where he pleaded for Israel. Here we see him as Israel's intercessor to plead with the Almighty. Though so highly favor of God and granted such power in prayer, this did not cause Elijah to take liberties with God to approach him with indecent familiarity. We must not forget that though God is Father, He is also our Sovereign 
and that while we were we are his children we are also his subjects i shuddered when one day i attended a worship service and the minister apart from the fact that he was wearing a pair of sandals and a pair of jeans were praying with his hands in his pocket and it might be that we today say well the lord does not look at what what is uh, on the outside but what is on the inside I don't see that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I see how many people in the Bible bowing down in worship before the Lord. The moment we stand with our hands in our pockets, the moment we think that we can stand before God as if he is just one of us, we are making a huge mistake. someone says said to another fellow that we know him being a new christian coming out of the communist party out of china coming to australia being a brand new christian and uh he saw someone doing that being very sloppy in his christian walk uh, that person said to him but god looks at our heart he doesn't look on what's on the outside this person said to him that might be true but you know what i can't see your out, your inside i can only see what's on the outside and what's on the outside is really bothering me humble yourselves therefore under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you humble yourselves before god when we saw abraham then uh, praying for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah he didn't have a, a view of well i'm a friend of god and therefore i can talk to him the way i want he says now that i've been so bold as to speak to the lord though i'm nothing but dust and ashes may i may i ask you again Isaiah prayed woe to me for I'm ruined I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty posture does count whatever we want to know about it these days it does count do we always need to be on our knees before the lord well i don't know I must honestly say I can't find a scripture verse that says that but one thing I know that from the time we have stopped kneeling before the Lord something has happened in our approach to the Lord too Elijah's prayer was based based on the divine promise God promised that he would hear the prayer of Elijah 
And Elijah then called upon God as the God of the Father, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was God who was faithful, and he, he was, his prayer was based on the promises of God. He knew God, and he knew that God cared for him. He had cared for him all his life, and that he would care for his people, and therefore now he stands before God. And once again, God has appointed that we should, that we should receive, but we must ask. If we want to find, we have to seek. If we want the door of blessing to be opened upon us, we must knock. And if we fail to do so, we shall prove the truth of those words you do not have because you do not ask. Listen to what the Lord says to Ezekiel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield the plea of the house of Israel and do so for them. I will make their people as numerous of, as sheep. What had happened? These people stood before God and they prayed. Zechariah says, ask for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field and to everyone. God does these things, but it says, ask of Him. Although then we read also about the prayer of Daniel there in chapter 9 of Daniel. Although Daniel understood the promise of God to take his people back to their own country and after 70 years had passed, it did not stop him from praying the very earnestly before God that God would indeed do as he promised. Based on the promise of God, he prayed. But the fact that he already knew the outcome did not make him a fatalist. It did not make him just wiping his brow and only looking forward to the day of the fulfillment of the promise. No! Daniel was perfectly aware that God is not like a machine. A magic genie that pops out, what, out of the bottle whatever we command him to or wish for. God is sovereign, but only, he's not only sovereign, he is personal. And because he's personal, he's free. And therefore we can stand before him. And we read in Daniel chapter 9, 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and plead for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Because Daniel was aware of the promise of this personal sovereign God, he feels that it's, it's obligation to pray in accord with what he learned in the Scriptures regarding the will of God. He appealed to God to, pre to preserve the integrity of his own name, the sanctity of his own covenant, his reputation for mercy and forgiveness. It is worth praying to a sovereign God because he is free and can take action as He wills. It is worth praying to the personal God because He hears and He responds and acts on behalf of His people, not according to the blind fatalism of people who would just believe in fate. I, I, I just can't work out how it, how it is that people can believe in fate. I can just hit you with, with thunder or an earthquake or all these things for nothing. For no particular reason. If God does something, He does it for a specific reason. And therefore I stand before Him like a Daniel and I plead upon His promises in prayer as Elijah did. Our knowledge of the Bible and God's revealed will is so weak 
leading to weak prayers. Our faith expects so little because we have nothing to base it upon. And so it revolves around ourselves and our personal needs and our prayer is nothing less than a shopping list. This was not the prayer of Elijah, which God answered mightily. His prayer was a fervent prayer. And Spurgeon writes upon this and he says, The story is told that as an uh, Athenian senate met together in open air, a sparrow that was pursued by a hawk flew into the direction of the senate. Being hard-pressed by the bird of prey, the sparrow sought, sought shelter in the bosom of one of the senators. Being a man of rough and vulgar mold, the senator took the bird from his bosom, dashed it on the ground, and so killed it. Whereupon the whole senate rose in uproar, and without one single dissenting voice condemned him to die for not rendering aid to a creature that confided in him. We can suppose that the God of heaven, whose nature is love, could tear out of his bosom the poor fluttering dove that flies from an eagle of justice into the bosom of his mercy. No, he will give the invitation to seek his face, and then he will give us help. The prayer of Elijah was definite and to the point. I don't think that we would find Elijah there on the mountain praying in all forms of uh, uh, nice words, not getting to the point. We read in the Bible in Luke chapter 11 verse 5, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and asks, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. He didn't say, well, look, have you got something to eat there? He was very specific. He said, my need is three loaves of bread. Spurgeon, once again, he said, do you not sometimes fall on your knees without thinking before what you mean to ask of God? You do as a matter of habit without any motion of your heart. You are like a man who should go to a shop and not know what articles he would, he would buy. He may perhaps take a happy purchase when he's there, but certainly not what he, want, what he needed. And so the Christian in prayer may afterwards attain a real desire and get his end. But how much better would he speed if having prepared his soul by consideration of self-examination, he came to God for an object at which he was about to aim with real request. Do you think that we can go to Her Majesty's court not knowing that we want what we want? Can we stand before God and pray and not really know what we're praying for? It's probably because we rush into prayer. It's probably because we do not know who we're talking to. It's probably because we just go through the drills. And his prayer was fervent. 
We read in uh, James chapter 5, 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. He praised earnestly, fervently. And therefore the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I remember my first congregation, there was a lady. She, uh, in her early years, she was a missionary to Africa. She was born in England, and therefore I could just marvel at, in prayer times, as she, as she prayed, because she had to weigh all her words. In some ways, I, can, I know what, what it means to think one language and talk another. But she, when she prayed, I, uh, when we had prayer meetings and she was there, I looked forward to the time when she prayed. And, and, and I would just lead that prayer meeting to a point where I could ask the people to pray. And then in my heart, I would pray that she would pray. And I still remember how she would lean forward and take the the, the rail of the, of the next pew and hold on to it and then she would pray and boy oh boy when she prayed this verse was my truth I could hear her talk to the Father I could hear her heart being in her, in her prayer and I was blessed even just by listening to that prayer May the Lord give us the grace to pray like that. His prayer, Elijah's prayer, was in hope. Something of what we read in Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. More than the watchman wait for the morning. Have you find yourselves... Uh, being a guard over a certain area, period of night. Have you, have you been in that situation where you would just watch? Uh, I had that opportunity. And I tell you what, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a good thing. When, uh, when you've, got, you've got those hours, let's say, between 3 and 6 in the morning. Now, before 3 o'clock arrived, you couldn't sleep because you know that you were supposed, you go, you're supposed to get up early. So you didn't sleep much before then. And when eventually you go and you put on your full uniform and, and you go out and you stand there as a watchman, three o'clock comes and four o'clock comes and then five o'clock just doesn't want to come. And six o'clock is even further away. And you, could, and, and you pray your time to be over. You just watch for the first signs of the morning to come. And in that, that is what the Bible tells about. We wait in hope and in prayer with expectation. Once again, if I may quote Spurgeon, and he puts it just like Spurgeon could put it, we do not want fingertip prayers which only touch the burden. We need shoulder prayers which bear a load of earnestness and are not to be denied their desire. 
We do not want those dainty runaway knocks at the door of mercy, which believers give when they show off at prayer meetings. We ask for the knocking of a man who means to have and means to stop at mercy's gate till it opens and all his needs shall be supplied. You get that idea? When I was a child, sometimes we'd go and be full of mischief. You'd go into town and you'd sometimes knock on a door and before someone opens, you'd just run away. You didn't really... You didn't really expect someone to open the door, but it was just fun. Spurgeon says sometimes we pray like that. We knock on the door before someone opens, we run away. But in earnest and a fervent prayer is the prayer that knocks and knocks and knocks until the door is opened and until he meets with the one who lives inside. Therefore, Elijah prayed up to seven times. He didn't see the cloud. There was nothing that he could actually say, well, this is going to rain today. But he did warn Ahab, get onto your chariot and see that you get home because the Lord is going to send some rain. That in the face of clear skies... And then he prayed. And he didn't stop praying when he heard the news there was nothing. And he didn't stop to pray when he heard there's nothing again. And he didn't even stop praying when he heard the news there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. May the Lord give us, not only in our personal lives, but also as a church, that grace to pray and be persevering in our prayers. Let us bow. Father, not only is it a pity that we do not pray, it is a shame. It is sin. And therefore, Lord, we confess our sins this morning, not only individually, but also as a church. Because, Lord, we look around us and it looks like we, we don't have. And then the Bible this morning reminds us that if we do not have, we do not pray. And if we do pray, sometimes we just pray for ourselves and for our own sake. Therefore, Lord, teach us to be like an Elijah. And pray fervently, earnestly. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.